a Podcast One production. Cyber attacks are the biggest threat to the business world we're facing today. Let that sink in for a second. That's more than terrorism, more than natural disasters, more than anything else. We're talking about a trillion dollars. So how do we protect ourselves? How do we make ourselves feel safe? My name is Bastian Treptel, founder of CTRL Group. And the reason I founded this company is I have a bit of a nefarious past. I would call myself a reformed black hat. A black hat is someone who used technology, hacking or cracking to basically gain information or steal money or advantage by means of the internet. When I was a little 14-year-old kid, I had a passion for computers and I became fascinated with coding, I became fascinated with the internet, I became fascinated with the chat boards, forums, you name it, I was into it. Basically, I found it just amazing that banks back at the time would just connect up to the internet without thinking too much what risk that posed. What I did with that information was I stole credit card numbers. I stole the numbers, the pins, the expiration dates, and I built up a massive list of these things. I literally had hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars worth of credit cards at my disposal. And what did I do with this? I ordered pizza. Probably about once a week. (laughs) About three years after my decent little credit card collection, uh, one day I I got a, a fairly loud and scary knock on the door. My mother answered the door. And to be fair with you, uh, police knocking on my door wasn't that rare an occurrence. But this was the federal police, first time the federal police had ever knocked on our door. And I'd made a simple mistake. I'd left an IP address somewhere and they basically busted me. So luckily with the criminal acts that I perpetrated back in the day, it was uh, prior to the Patriot Act and prior to a few other laws that have come in place. So I, I guess if I did those same crimes now, I would probably, even as a minor, be looking at some jail time. Years later, I saw a family friend who had a successful business that had run for 15 plus years get taken down by a cyber attack. So these criminals infiltrated their systems, transferred all the money out of their bank accounts. And, and these guys had done all the right things. They had insurance, they, they had savings, they'd done everything correctly. But unfortunately, by the time the insurance kicked in, they couldn't afford to run their business. They couldn't pay their debtors. They couldn't pay their staff wages and, and the, the business went under. And I I spent a bit of time talking to the family friend and and understood how they got in and it was just so easy to prevent. It was just so um, simple to take a few steps that would have stopped all this happening. And that's where I I took the black hat off and I I started really thinking to myself, all right, how do we stop this from happening? So it's important to remember now that hackers have evolved. So back when I was wearing the black hat, All people were interested in is uh, basically defacing websites. You'd get a kudos from your peers for changing a photo. You'd get basically some uh, prowess for stealing credit card numbers. Now we're seeing that cybercrime is the largest source of income 
for criminal organisations globally. So that means that they're running proper businesses. We're seeing companies in the Philippines. We're seeing companies in Russia that have multiple employees, employees that have sick leave, employees that have HR managers. And we're just seeing this go up and up and up to the point where you really just can't not take cybersecurity seriously anymore. You can't be that, that age-old Australian saying, she'll be right, mate. Australia is a massive target because of that attitude. Gone are the days where you can just install some antivirus, put in a firewall in place and think you'll be fine. If you have that attitude, you're on the way to fines from the government for not taking other people's data seriously and you're on your way to grief because we see in the threat intelligence world just how much cybercrime is going up every day. So for years we've been paid by organisations to hack into them and show them how we were breaking into them. And it wasn't really explaining to the business what the risk was. It wasn't really showing the top of the business, the board, the directors, what that actual risk was. So we went and created this methodology that very simply stripped it all back. Even without having to hack into an organization, we literally stripped it back and said, okay, what is it about your business that makes you profitable or drives you or basically leads you to continue existing? Is it data, functional assets? And then we could very easily show the board of directors on a dashboard what would happen if they were hacked across multiple different channels from confidentiality, availability, and integrity. So we created this methodology. We had these dashboards now. We had a way of communicating to the board level of what we did, how we did it, and how to protect them. So we thought, okay, how do we get this out to the world? We looked up a whole heap of different industries and we stumbled across insurance. Now, Aon's one of the largest brokers in the world. And we wondered what would be the odds of a big organization like that actually talking to us. Anyway, we, we trundled through the front doors of Aon and lo and behold, Fergus Brooks was actually interviewing security companies all around Australia, just dumb luck. We were the last people to see Fergus of the day. He had had a long day. You could see he was a bit tired. He uh, kind of a scary fella, lovely fella now that we know him. But at the time he said, Bastian, you've got five minutes. Your time's important. My time's important. So here we are explaining a little nervously to Fergus about our new methodology and he cut us off. I thought, oh crap, that was it. We've blown it. We're going to get let out of the building. Instead, he cut us off with, you know what? This is exactly what we need. This is the only company in Australia that is talking your language, this uh, top-down data-driven approach to risk and also a way to solve it. With that, I'm going to pass over to Fergus Brooks. You've got over 20 years of experience in the cybersecurity industry, and we're very grateful to the man who linked us into Aon in the first place. Thanks, Bastian. Uh, sorry if I was a bit of an ogre on that first uh, on that first meeting, but we've got along fine since then. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, Aon is one of the largest brokers of cyber insurance, and that's why they employed me was was uh, as an IT security consultant with 20. 20 plus years of IT security experience, which which makes me a sort of veteran in the field. No one who was with me in IT security 20 plus years ago thought that there would be a career or an industry or that we'd be sitting here having this discussion now. But obviously the advent of the internet has created with it so many different security vulnerabilities and security flaws and so many different methodologies. And Cyber insurance is the fastest growing area of insurance at the moment, and that's simply because, as we discussed throughout the series, organisations continue to be breached, uh, defences are imperfect, and we've probably adopted technology faster than we've learned to defend it, and that's one of the key issues that leads to people needing insurance. So on the day in question, yes, you were the last company that I saw to discuss, you know, various different methodologies of how we 
quantify cyber risk. I.e., what's it going to cost an organisation if we have a data breach? It's very easy with a company who's looking for insurance for their building. If we have a fire, it's going to be the cost of replacing the building uh, and the cleanup of the mess, etc. So that's easy to quantify. But how do you quantify the actual loss of, of an organisation's data and, and definitely of the um, personally identifiable information of customers, etc.? It's very, very difficult to quantify. So we're looking at ways of actually assessing the risks of particular organisations and Aon wasn't skilled up for that, so we're looking at technology partners to come in and look at the customers and see what's going on. Now, I'd heard methodologies all pretty similar. Uh, we'd do a certain amount of testing, we'll come in and we'll do data classification exercises and that's all well and good and stuff I've been doing for 20 plus years. The CTRL approach was different and I had given Bastian, what did I give you? Three minutes. Three minutes, three minutes, 30 minutes. I thought I was more generous than that. (laughs) And uh, Bastian ran through their CTRL's data-centric approach where, you know, let's stop talking about all the toys in the toy box that we can stick in and around the data and let's stop talking about, you know, how many products and services that we can throw at something. How about we just talk about the data itself? What is the value of the data? Who's it valuable to? And then think about, you know, how we should protect it and how we can classify it, how we can move forward. And I was like, this is what I've been waiting to hear from every single one of the 10 or so meetings that I'd had with various technology companies. And uh, and it was a breath of fresh air. Thank you, Fergus. appreciate that. So I guess that's really what we're going to cover off in this podcast. So not only for individuals and businesses, but we're going to strip away why a hacker would want to hack an individual, why a hacker would want to hack a business, what they're actually trying to extrapolate, what they're trying to achieve. And then we're going to strip all that back and go, okay, now we know what they're after. Now we know what they want. What are we going to do to actually stop this from happening? To also create visibility for you guys and also to explain how we actually stop these things. And we'll also have some fun examples of some real breaches and hacks that we've seen in recent times and how those organizations coped with it and how they could have potentially coped with it a bit better. So one of the uh, things that we see a lot of is people don't really take cybersecurity very seriously themselves. So they, you know, their bosses are telling them, don't click on links, don't do this. But one missing factor, right? if, you try and, if you try and think to yourself, okay, you've gone and stolen $200,000 from an organization, rack your brain and think, how do you move that money around? If you move that money into a bank account that is anything to do with you as the criminal uh, or linked back to you as the criminal, the federal police are going to be knocking on your door pretty quickly. So what these criminal organisations need is a book of identities that they can use to open bank accounts with, that they can use to then transfer money from bank accounts to cryptocurrencies, that they can use as fake IDs to get phone numbers, to get internet connections, to buy cars with. I mean, these businesses that are run have logistics problems, just like any other businesses. They need loans, they need cars, they need bank accounts, they need phone numbers. So quite often when people say to me, you know, look, you know, sure, I'm taking this seriously at work, but is this actually a risk for me personally? Hell yeah, it is. Because when you put your black hat on, you need a person to take the fall. Yeah, and I think um, just to add on that, I think, uh, you know, we've seen a lot about this in terms of it's been in the movies and this kind of stuff is this whole concept of identity theft. And you're exactly right. You, you don't want to be tracked back. You're exactly right, Bastian. You don't want to be tracked back to yourself so it's better if you use someone else's identity in order to perpetrate any kind of type of crime. And, you know, that goes back as old as history. But again, a weak password from an individual 
might give someone access and you won't even know that someone's using your credentials in order to perpetrate something. And we see this all the time in terms of people taking out loans, people renting cars, which comes back to haunt them, comes back to bite them, but it wasn't them. Again, it was just because of poor, I guess, cyber hygiene, I'd call it, uh, just being mindful of your passwords, not using the same password across all of your accounts. And it's very easy to do because, you know, complex passwords to, to what we were talking about before are annoying and you've got to remember them. And if you've got different passwords across everything, it's going to be painful. But if you're using the same password across your Hotmail account and your Gmail account and uh, and your work accounts, etc., then uh, chances are if someone gets hold of that, they've got pretty much hold of your entire identity. And it's a scary thing. And it's something that um, I learned from, uh, there was the Ashley Madison hack several years ago uh, and a friend of mine who was working at one of the uh, one of the large banks. But um, after the Ashley Madison breach, they actually had to go through and find which of their employees were an Ashley Madison user, and they had to have the uncomfortable uh, conversation with them that um, that they needed to change their passwords. And the reason reason for this is because people will use the same password for remote access into a corporate network. Uh, as they will use for their online banking, as they will use for their Ashley Madison account. Just for everyone, uh, the Ashley Madison breach was uh, an adult website that uh, allowed people to find like-minded married people looking for some uh, extracurricular activities. (laughs) And the database was actually quite large. Millions, millions of records. And uh, yeah, a a well-to-do vigilante decided that uh, that was not a good thing for people to have and yeah, and leaked the records out everywhere. Quite a few big names fell on that one. But yeah, you're right. The first thing that we saw when uh, we were looking at all the uh, threat intelligence from this was yeah, people buying that list or publicly available, sorry, in that particular case and uh, downloading those passwords left, right and centre. So to give an idea of just how easy it is still to hack these days, an example being we set up a little lunchbox with a few solar panels on it and we set it up outside of uh, McDonald's. Uh, This was a couple of years ago now before they introduced hyper-strict transfer protocols, but essentially this uh, little box was a a Wi-Fi unit that allowed uh, people to connect to it and it was called McDonald's Free Wi-Fi. And you'd be amazed the kids that were just transferring small amounts of money to uh, basically pay for their uh, double cheeseburgers. We managed to get something in the order of 2,000 account details, net bank lock-on details through four of the big banks or many of the big banks. And that information would allow us to to manipulate uh, all sorts of information about the individual, obviously take money out of their bank accounts. But uh, yeah, it is still very easy to do and it's uh, quite scary. Another example was from a business point of view, we often tell businesses if you ever connect to an open network and you don't delete that open network from your phone, you're an absolute sitting duck. So as soon as you join an open network, every seven seconds when you're not connected to a Wi-Fi network, your phone sends out an information packet that says, hey, this is every network I've ever connected to. Are you out there? And uh, little old me comes along and says, okay, yes, we are out there. Your phone then connects to our evil access point and we watch every piece of information flowing in and out. There's some grey area even in the legislation at the moment. 
does it constitute a breach of information if your phone goes through a man in the middle attack and a man in the middle attack is connecting to our evil access point and we're getting information possibly whilst you're using your company intranet or even pulling your contacts out of the phone? Does that mean you need to then go and notify the privacy commissioner? And if you fail to do so, are you then in a short line to get a $2.1 million fine or a $410,000 fine per director? So there's so many things that businesses just aren't aware of and something as innocent as connecting at the airport puts you at a huge risk. So Fergus, is that actually a breach? So from your expertise in the industry, would you be calling up the uh, privacy commissioner and advising them of a breach? Well, it depends whether or not you've lost any information, and, and, and that's a really good question. I think what we haven't seen, um, so, so when the mandatory data breach legislation came out, or the amendment to the privacy legislation is the better way to say it, came out in February 2018, it talked about you need to notify people if you believe that they've been put to serious harm uh, is, is the main sort of context. Now, anyone who's from the legal profession and a lot of sceptics will say, well, what exactly does serious harm mean? So you have to notify if you think there's been serious harm. And there's been a lot of discussion about this, uh, but what we haven't seen is we haven't seen it tested in the courts as of yet, and it's only going to be sort of set by precedent. So serious harm to me, in my mind, and I've been doing this for a long time, serious harm to me would mean credit cards, uh, it would mean health records, you know, anything that can that can cause harm to an individual whose records you've lost. However, does that include tax file numbers? There's a very grey area here, you know, so if you've lost a bunch of tax file numbers, does that mean that you've caused serious harm to individuals, Medicare numbers, these kind of things? So that's, that's it's very it's very much a grey area at the moment. I agree, I agree. I mean, if you, if you look at it from my point of view, what serious harm is, once we connect, say, a phone to our evil gateways... Basically, we can get things like people's home addresses, we can get their phone numbers, and as you know, we've got a 100% breach record, and, and what that means from an organisation is that every company that's ever paid us to hack them, and, and I've got to stress they pay us to do this legally, we get into them. And like you said, Fergus, we very rarely hack the front door, which is the firewall. We are usually identifying humans in high-level positions, we are pulling information from LinkedIn, we're pulling information from Facebook, we're pulling information from any other information sources we can get, we're building profiles up and then we're essentially attacking that human. And the reason why we have a 100% breach rate is we mix that information with technical ability to get done what we need to get done and that, that's either get data, move money, um, deface websites, whatever they perceive as a big risk to their business. And it's terrifying that we still have a 100% success rate. Um, so, yeah, exactly right, Fergus. It's, the, it's, it's not really the firewalls like we see in Hollywood. It's not those uh, three-dimensional uh, 3D effects we see in the movies. It's really just hacking the person with a bit of a mixed technology in there. I think, yeah, I think also the... Um, uh, it, it <laughs> I think we're starting to see now, certainly with things like Mr. Robot, we're starting to see now slightly more accurate representation of what really goes on in the in the IT security world. But certainly uh, some of the things that I've seen, you know, with these 3D walkthrough models of data and this kind of stuff is, is pretty funny. But um, the thing is, it's not funny and it's not going away. The risk is not going away. It's actually becoming worse. So if we take a step back and we go back 20-odd uh, years to the start of the uh, start of the internet, essentially. Um, then what we saw is, is that the, the early hackers 
they were just simply looking for attention. Uh, they wanted people to know, you know, so if you watch something like War Games, which is pretty funny, um, you know, back in the modem days, and, and, and people were hacking just, you know, purely because they could. Let's see if we can break in here. Let's see if we can change this website. Let's see if we can do this. And we, let's see if we can do that. Bastion. Yeah, they were, they were kids with a spray can on the internet, essentially, and, yeah. and I was one of them. But you were quite advanced in terms of the fact that you went after credit cards and stuff. But, hey, uh, I needed some pizza. Well, you wanted some pizza. Yeah, that's right. So, but uh, but what we're seeing now, and this is a really disturbing, uh, really disturbing thing, and this is what I think uh, all businesses, small or large, need to be need to be concerned about, is that in two thousand and eighteen, Verizon, who I used to work for, who's a global network provider, uh, essentially most of the internet is their infrastructure. Uh, or a large chunk of the internet is their infrastructure, and that goes back to legacy, ARPANET, and all sorts of stuff. But in any case, Verizon every year do a data breach investigation report, and so they have they have a large forensics team. I used to be attached to that team, and what happens is they take, in the case of 2018, 987 breaches that they investigated forensically and, and otherwise, and also, you know, criminal investigations and all that kind of stuff. But the, the stat that came out of this that was really concerning was that more than, fifth, for the first time, more than 50% of the things that they investigated turned out to be organised crime related. So where we're at at the moment is we've got organised criminals. This is on the rise. Violent crime is decreasing. You're less likely to get guns stuck in your face, but there will be teams of people with computers who are coming after your money, um, who are looking to potentially extort you and steal your identity. And that's what's happening uh, real time at the moment and is on the rise. One of the uh, the fun things that uh, we get to do at uh, CTRL Group, Fergus, is... Um Actually, listen to these uh, listen to these attacks, and and you know we've got uh, credit cards with very small amounts of money actually, and follow them down the rabbit hole. But one of the even more fun things to do is actually uh, sort of screwing these people over after we found out what the new attacks are. So, an example is, uh, and and there's heaps of people doing this on YouTube. If you want to uh, check it out, now maybe we can post a link. Uh, we actually have auto dialers at work, and once these guys call up from their from their service desk. We can actually uh, hit them with sort of close to 1,500 calls a second and, and block their outbound lines, which is pretty fun. And we can also even record their uh, them when they do pick up the lines and, and they get very frustrated. It's them again. These damn Aussies are blocking our lines. And uh, yeah, but you're right. Um, there is some pretty crazy or pretty decent attempts and, and business attempts to actually defraud people. And, and I totally agree with you, Fergus, that yeah, no one should really be transferring money around without uh, voice verification, but it's scary to see how often that happens. It's happening all the time. I have heard some figures on, uh, you know, nationally how much how much money is getting, getting lost in this respect. One good thing to mention is that I get this a lot, of, a lot of the time, certainly when I was working in the insurance industry, and I'd get customers saying to me, we're too small for anyone to pay attention. We don't have, we don't have much, you know, surely people are going after the big banks and they're going after this and that, the, you know, the bad actors, the hackers, the people with the hoodies and the green and black screens behind them are, are going after the banks, etc. And that's, that's just simply not true. Um, and you mentioned a financial planning company, probably a fairly small company, but any size company uh, is potentially a target. But the thing is, is that why would you go after a bank that's got a big, impressive uh, castle 
you know, they've got a moat, they've got castle walls, they've got the best firewalls, the best, you know, endpoint security and all that kind of stuff. But you can go after a smaller company that's not expecting it. And I think small business owners need to be very aware that they're just as much a target of organised criminals as anyone else. And I get this all the time from companies as well. Oh, we've got everything in the cloud or we're moving everything to the cloud and therefore we're secure. It's like, no. So, uh, yeah, all the organisations that are out there that uh, believe they've moved everything to the cloud and it's nice and safe, using something as simple as voice fraud, as email fraud, or actually even going in on site, you'd be hugely surprised how many places you can access with a high-vis jacket or even a ladder over your shoulder or even just brazenly, confidently walking through the back door. Smokers are notorious for being friendly people. You know, they, they... they love their kin. You know, if you happen to be smoking, you're their best friends forever. They're a rare society. They'll let you in the back door of basically anywhere. And then we use um, a simple device. We often get uh, username and passwords using a device called a keylogger. We'll wander in on site, find a uh, keyboard with uh, no one sitting in front of it, unplug the keyboard. We'll plug the keylogger in. And what it does is that basically every stroke you tap on that keyboard is uh, being sent wirelessly to us either by... Uh, Wi-Fi and we're sitting in a van outside or to an IP address on the internet. And that works when the computer's locked. It works when the computer's on. We can see what you're typing in an email. We can see your login, username and password. We can even see your two-factor authentication if you type that in. And then we can do a side-loading attack to, to gain access. So having things in the cloud, once we've got username and password, it's, uh, all the information is ours and we no longer have to actually be in your premise to get to it. A very large uh, a builder that um, fell for that attack, we managed to gain access to their systems. Uh, we then managed to get access to the uh, financial controller's system and we did a very simple ABA file attack. So an ABA file is what businesses use to upload hundreds if not thousands of payments to the bank and we intercept that ABA file, we change it to our bank account details, the totals still add up, everything looks fine. The first you know about it is when uh, your clients who expect to have been paid haven't been, which can take weeks if not months. By that time, that money is well and truly uh, somewhere in a cryptocurrency or in an or in evil entity's bank account. The other important point to touch on is hackers tend to be lazy. We don't really want to go to work, so we're happy just sitting in front of our computer eating our pizza, as I touched on before. But um, some of the free, ways... Free pizza. Free, free pizza, pizza, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Free pizza. Some of the ways that uh, organisations can help themselves now, I'd like to touch on quickly, and we're going to hit on this uh, more in, in the series as we progress. But to the point that hackers are lazy, make sure that your organisation isn't that super easy, low-hanging fruit. And by that I mean... Simple things like if you've got public infrastructure, make sure at least your internet-facing infrastructure is patched. Um, make sure your your um, IT person or IT team have at least got that down. That's going to mean when I go and do a big scan on 50,000 IP addresses, your IP is not going to come out on a database and say, hey, this is a vulnerability I can use. And quite often, hackers or crackers will actually look at these things and go, okay, if they have all these vulnerabilities on their public-facing infrastructure, chances are internally is going to be even worse. So get yourself off that list. So just an important little bit of advice as well for um, everyone is if you do happen to be, un- well, not unlucky, if you do happen to have this happen to you, get in touch with a professional because 
I know in our organisation, we store the keys. So every time we see a new variant of CryptoLocker or WannaCry, Pateo, whatever it may be, we actually go through and help organisations. And if they pay for the key, then we store that key. Quite often when these guys are downloading the software from wherever they've bought it from, usually dark web, um, they'll be cycling through keys. Some of them only had about 10 keys. So once you've captured all those keys come and talk to someone like us or a professional organisation that deals with this stuff every day and we'll try those keys and sometimes we get lucky and, and you don't have to pay anything and, and you can decrypt your files. But yeah, obviously you want to be in a position where your backups can uh, recover you quickly back to business as usual and you know, the fantastic systems out there these days that you know, with the image-based uh, backups, you're essentially backing up in real time but those backups are connected. So when you get this issue those backups are going to be encrypted as well. So make sure you've got an offline backup that is um, available to get you back to business as usual as soon as possible. Yeah, and I guess I guess probably the last thing I'd want to add on that sort of at this very high level conversation we're having at the moment before we before we deep deep dive as we move through the series is uh, passwords are really really important. I've seen one uh, example of social engineering uh, recently uh, where. It was obviously a fairly weak password or a password that was possible to be brute forced. I've always said that to, to people and they're saying, well, how, how do you guess someone's password? You know, how do you do that? And I'm like, well, if, if, you're, if you've got a young child, chances are it will be a derivation of that young child. If you if you're, don't have children, it will be your pet. And uh, as you get older, it'll probably be your pet again or your football club. It's not hard then. That's social engineering at its core. Yeah, I mean, we can give the give the exact formula that we use. When we go after an executive, we will literally look at their family, their close family, so their kids, their pets, their football clubs, uh, the dates of birth of their children, the dates of birth of their wives, their own date of birth, and it is always... People think, oh, I'll throw an exclamation mark at the end of it. Brilliant. Uh, and nine times out of ten, that actually condenses the alphabet down into a very manageable uh, set of characters that a uh, decent graphics card can crunch into however many iterations and, and get into a, an account pretty quickly. I think you've successfully scared the living daylights out of everyone, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Cyber Hacker was brought to you by Podcast One and CTRL Group. Presented by me, Bastian Treptel, produced by Matt Dwyer, our very own Stephen Williams from CTRL Group, and a special thank you to Fergus Brooks. Hacking is real. People and organisations are being taken down every day. If you'd like some professional advice and assistance, go online to ctrlgroup.com.au and we'll help you. <laughs>